Everyone faces questions and decisions that require insight and answers as we move forward personally, professionally, and corporately in all areas of this thing we call life in America today. Hello, this is Joe Schofield, and I invite you to tune in every Monday evening from 6 to 7 p.m. as we talk together and hear from key leaders of all ages and backgrounds about your questions. Interesting, informative, intuitive, but always encouraging. Tune us in on BBS Radio Network. Join Pastor Joe and co-hosts Ron Greer, Dr. Paul Hall, Stephanie Thayer and Dr. Craig Thayer in Raising Expectations. Friends, we're so glad you tuned in tonight to Raising Expectations because we've really once again got a very special program for you. Uh, we're going to have a great night speaking about elections, projections, and what's really happening. And eight days from now, or eight days out from perhaps one of the greatest elections to take place in this country, with some of the greatest things that need to be addressed and some of the greatest direction changing decisions that will need to be made by you, we the people of the United States of America. Hey, we're glad that you're with us, as I mentioned, and we hope that uh, the Lord is blessing your life. We're people of faith. We believe God has things in control, and we believe he is there listening to us. We love the truth of his word where it says he's only a prayer away, and we've been doing a lot of that. So glad to have you with us again tonight, your program, Raising Expectations. I'm Pastor Joe Schofield, and you know me. It's great to see you. I want to quickly share with you, as I always do, because people ask each week. There's not a week goes by that people don't ask. I want to introduce our great team. These are, of all my 50 years as a pastor in ministry, I've never been able to share a group of people that I love and appreciate as much as this group that I want to share with you each week. And I'm going to start on the West Coast. We always do with my dear friend of over 50 years, Dr. Paul Hall in Lompoc, California, up near Santa Barbara, right there. You got it. You got it. And Paul is a uh, Paul is a retired pastor. He's a teacher. He's a college professor. This guy has done everything. He's compiling a book right now that's going to be about this program. It's going to be great to to bring that to you pretty soon. And uh, in any event, he's there in Lompoc, California, and uh, he uh, he's got some great things to share each and every week. So hang on to your hat. We're going to have a good time tonight. Now I'm going to go all the way to the east side of the United States of America, all the way to the south in. Uh, Right there in the where all the states come together near Chattanooga, Tennessee, Dalton, Georgia, which is near South Carolina, as they say, and next to Alabama and uh, not far from Lookout Mountain. So I'm looking out to see that I covered all the area. How did I do, Step Tank, to get them? <laughs> so, OK, they're from California and they've moved there and they are making a great emphasis in the lives of people there. Uh, Stephanie, as you know, is the CEO, the founder of Quenching Wells, and she is a great a godly wife and mother, but more than working along with that, she allows God to use her insight to help people understand what they need on health uh, and what to eat and how to stay healthy and how to be encouraged. And uh, she does a job for, oh, literally, can't even keep scores with all the people that she's blessed across the nation. So she does a great job. And we are excited because it's now one day from November, which is only one month from December, which means we can have fudge 
in December. We always show that. We look forward to that all year. We get away with it at Christmas. But anyway, that's coming up. And you see her on her right there, her husband, who is uh, Dr. Craig. We call him Tank. Craig Thayer, who is an incredible godly man. He is a, a surgeon. He is a nutrition specialist. He's a brother to everybody who knows this guy. He blesses our life all the time. And uh, we're excited that he shares his wisdom with all of us each and every week that covers vast amounts of all areas of our lives together. So we're so glad that they're there and they they left uh, Northern California, that they're on the east, southeast coast of the United States. So that we can cover the nation, we are going to go to Central America the great state of Texas. And in Texas, we have one of our favorite pastors in the world, as you know, in the great city of McKinney, part of the Dallas area there, Ron Greer. He works with Man in the Mirror. Ron is, uh, Ron is, hey, Ron's great. You're just going to love knowing Ron. We love him too. He's a great brother in Christ. Very shy, but we kind of get him out of the shell a little bit all the time. Ron works with Man in the Mirror, a great organization that helps men become all that they could be in Christ. That worked for the army. What do you say? Oh, it works for Christ when you find out what the word says about being a godly man. Greater men for uh, their family, for their wives, for their children, for the people they work with. And he takes the things that they've gone through in life and helps them to um, literally understand why and draw close to the Lord in this. Great insight, great man of God, great brother in Christ. This is the team. This is your Raising Expectations team. They bless my life. And from what you said to me, I know how much they bless your life. Now, we've got a great friend tonight who's going to be with us. He's been with us twice in the past. Everybody is excited that he'll be with us again tonight. We have Dr. Jim Robbins. Jim is the Dean of Academics at the International, excuse me, the Institute of World Politics. He's a Senior Fellow in National Security Affairs at the American Foreign Policy Council, former Special Assistant in the Office of the Secretary of Defense. More than that, he's a guy who understands the United States of America. I think he's one of the greatest historians in our nation when it comes to Gettysburg and understanding. His book, Erasing of America, was simply an incredible book. You still need to get a copy of that along with his other books. But Jim is coming to us tonight, uh, making great insights into understanding politics and what the world is and Western civilization. And actually, it's great to be an American. So he's going to be sharing with us tonight. So, Jim, we're going to give you it's kind of patented and it doesn't cost much, but it's really exciting. We're going to give you the patented around the clock. Welcome to our program. Welcome to Racing Expectations. We're glad you're with us. And uh well, maybe you could open up tonight by sharing a little bit about what you do and then how things are going. And then we, we'll probably have some questions, some great interaction. Welcome, Jim. Oh, thank you, Joe. This is a very nice introduction. I'm really happy to be here with you tonight. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm the dean at the Institute of World Politics, IWP, which is a graduate school of international relations in Washington, D.C., uh, we offer master's degrees and doctorates for people who are going into the international relations field. A lot of our graduates go into the intelligence field. Uh, they go into defense. They go to the State Department. Uh, I'd say most of them go into government work. Many of them go into the private sector and defense-related or IR-related areas. And I think one thing that sets IWP apart from other schools is our <laughs> emphasis on uh, the uh, American tradition on Western Judeo-Christian values 
and all of the things that I'm sure your listeners are familiar with that used to be much more common in higher education uh, seem to has gone out of style a little bit, but we're keeping the flame held aloft. And uh, the students who come to IWP and they go through our program and graduate, they go into government to make a difference and to make the right kind of difference, I, I would say. And uh, I'm really privileged to be there as the dean and to help guide the program along and guide along these students. Amen. Well, we're eight days out. It's going to be an exciting election. And uh, we always appreciate what you say. We were all kind of talking. I just said, hey, hey, folks, let's just ask some questions. So they have a couple and each or different things they want to share. And, and we'll just let you share from your heart. We love it when you share. Anybody, Ron, you've got a question you want to share? I'm going to say ladies first, but uh, since you <laughs> called me. <laughs> I think I'm on my screen. No, which way do I go? Yeah. <laughs> no, Steph, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Steph, you want to my mother's taught me well. Well, you know, nothing is going on in the state of Georgia politically, so I clearly oh. have no <laughs> questions. <laughs> boring over there. <laughs> um, so we're sort of purplish currently. Um what what are your thoughts with just broad stroke of what's going to happen during this election time and, and how that might change or continue the trajectory that we've had the last two years? Well, I think that in the broad stroke, it's not going to be a great night for Democrats. Uh, I think all the indications are that it's going to be, it's just a question of how bad a night it will be for them. So it won't be continuing what's happened over the last two years. It's really going to be putting the brakes on it of uh, whatever's been going on. When you look at the House of Representatives, of course, in any off-year uh, election, the party out of power is going to gain seats. That's just been true statistically for many elections. But I think this election in particular, it's going to be a little bit bigger of a bump for the Republicans than uh, many of the Democrats are willing to admit. And uh, that's easy to see in the polls. If you, for example, go to um, the 538.com uh, website, which is a, they aggregate polls. And they have kind of a, a leftist skew, I think. But, but even they're aware of it, which is fine. Uh, but it's a great place to go get information. And they're showing that of the, of the 50 closest house races, the ones that are, you know, from neck and neck to a little bit, not neck and neck, but of the 50 closest ones, 41 of those are Democrats on the defense and only nine of those are Republicans. So that tells you right away that if, if 41 incumbents are, you know, fighting for their political lives right now out of 50 are Democrats, well, that's not a good indicator for them. Mm. Uh, when you look throughout the country, the Democrats now, where they're spending their money in the last weeks, they're defending a seat in Rhode Island. They're defending seats in Oregon. They're defending seats in New York and California, in New Jersey. There's some seats in uh, my state of Virginia that shouldn't be close, but are for sudden some reason. And so it just it shows you that. This is not this is not a good map for Democrats. They're going to have a hard time uh, next Tuesday. And it's really just it's no question that they're going to lose control of the House. 
It's just a question of how big the margin's going to be for Republicans. What what what's your take on the <laughs> since you mentioned close races? Uh, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the state races, but uh, the New York governor's race, and then you have the governor's race in Arizona, uh, mm-hmm. and even in uh, is, is it Idaho, <laughs> Oregon, Oregon rather, in Oregon. I mean, what is going on there? <laughs> what, what, what do you think? <laughs> Uh, it's amazing. And that's another part of this. When you look at these governor's races, like the ones you mentioned, uh, you know, Arizona, you know, uh, Carrie Lake wasn't supposed to win that one, but it looks like she's going to. Uh, Nevada, I think the Republicans are going to pull Nevada out. Um, you know, Georgia, of course, it was supposed to be a lot closer, but I don't think Kemp is going to have any problem whatsoever. Uh, with Stacey Abrams, so she can she can deny another election, you know. After this, one. Um, that's conspiracy but, theory. That's <laughs> what she said, um, you know. Um, and but Oregon, yeah, Christine Drazen, uh, who again was someone who was given no chance, and all of the sudden, you know, it's a race. I think Oregon is going to be one of the big upsets. And I mean, that's hard to believe when you think of Oregon. Are you kidding me? That's exactly, you know, well, I guess in my mind, I, my, in my mind, Oregon and New York just don't fit anywhere in that. And I, I mean, I guess on one hand, you start thinking you had a weather indicator. <laughs> Things wouldn't look too well if you, if those two places are struggling in a local race. And mm-hmm. so what, what do you think downline looks like if, if those governor's races are that tight? Well, I think that's actually good news in other parts of the ballot, because if you look at those states, most of them are also where you suddenly have competitive Senate races mm-hmm. or or must win Senate races. And of course, the Senate is 50-50. Correct. So almost every seat is a must win. Mm-hmm. And look at Nevada. Uh, to me, I think Nevada, that's currently a Democratic seat. I think it's going to flip. Um, Georgia is Herschel going to pull it out? It's looking that way. If you look at the polls in the last week, you know he's got a head of steam. Uh, Doctor Oz, he's also got a head of steam. He's catching up. Uh, Arizona, now that's an outlier. But if you look at the real clear politics projection, uh, they're giving Arizona to the Republicans. And in most of these cases, except for Pennsylvania, but in all the other cases, you have Republican governor candidates who are also surging ahead. So, again, it's not really a question of will it be a bad night for Democrats. It's a question of how bad it will be. Sorry. Go ahead, Stephanie. Do you think there's an opportunity for the House and the Senate to, to flip? Like, is that even... To, to go Republican? Uh-huh. Oh, well, the House is, I, I will predict. The House, <laughs> predict, but what about the Senate? You know, but I'll, I'll, I, would, I would bet, um, you know, uh, anything, you know, not anything. The House. <laughs> but a substantial, you know, 100 bucks, whatever. No, the House is going to flip. There's, there's no question. Nancy Pelosi will not be Speaker next year. Mm-hmm. But what about it's the just- Senate? On, on the Senate side, it's it's harder call because Pennsylvania, uh, you know, it, it could flip. I mean, from Republican to Democrat. 
mean, it really comes down to who's which party's in charge. Mm. But Georgia could flip Democrat to Republican. So, you know, if those flip, it would still be 50 50. Mm. So you have to look to another place. And to me, that's Nevada. Nevada, currently Democratic. If it flips to Republican and the other ones, you know, come out the way that we mentioned, it will be a uh, Republican control of the Senate. Mm-hmm. Well, here, here's an, uh, another question I have. Um, it, it, I don't know how to put it this. So given the, the sort of slide and not slide, this run toward Gomora, <laughs> I'll steal somebody else's book title, <laughs> sort of, uh, that the country's in, how critical is it for Christians uh, to be involved in this in politics and in this election in particular, and 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 how should our what what should be our perspective on political activity? Period. As as people of God, what what's your take on that? Um, I think people of faith need to get involved because I think we're not at a period in this country where live and let live is a value. Mm-hmm. for a lot of people. I think in the past in this country, there was a lot of live and let live. Mm-hmm. And people could kind of mind their own business mm-hmm. in a you know a much easier way. Mm-hmm. But, and especially having gone through the pandemic with all of the controls and all of the vitriol against people who didn't want to be part of that control system, mm-hmm. uh, it just kind of shows that that the people who want to run everybody's lives are in the ascendant. And so if people of faith who under ordinary circumstances would rather mind their own business and just live their own lives, um, if they try to do that now, not only will they not be able to do, have the power, you know, to do that, um, but it's going to embolden the uh, controlling people to do even more. So I would say it's a great time to take a stand for things that people believe in, because the last few years we've seen so many bad things happening mm-hmm. that it's really a time to get activated and stand up. Mm-hmm. Amen. Tank, Paul, have a thought? Oh, well, I've, got, I've, got, I've just got a, a question, okay? Um, <laughs> uh, one, one of the times that you were our guest before, Jim, you made a statement um, where it said, stay encouraged, be positive, stay positive in an increasingly confusing world. Okay. And uh, I wrote that down because I thought, you know, boy, hard to stay positive. I write uh, that down too. That's pretty good. Yeah, that, was, that was really good. Yeah. Uh, but the, the phrase increasingly confusing world. Now, while ago, I heard you say, if the Republicans do gain the majority, they can put the brakes on. Do you do you think, given your exposure to what you see and the people you talk to, are the Republicans more in the mood to play defense or are they going to go on the offense as much as possible? And if they go on the offense, what kind of things are possible? Um, I mean, I know that the executive branch, obviously, you know, the president's got that one sewed up and that kind of stuff. But what in practical terms is is possible uh, for a Republican majority uh, to make a difference in the in the trajectory that the country's going? 
Well, in terms of the legislative agenda, it's going to be hard to do because even if Republicans controlled both houses of Congress and could pass some good legislation, President Biden could veto it. Right. And there wouldn't be enough power to override a veto. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, Democrats, despite what they've been saying about the filibuster, Mm -hmm. it will become their best friend. Oh, yeah. You know, the minute that they go down to 49 senators, uh, they're not going to shut up about how great the filibuster is. Absolutely. I mean, and I, I'm not against that. I mean, I support the cloture rule. I su- I'm just pointing it out as a sort of note of hypocrisy on their part. Mm-hmm. You know, they take these principled stands, but then they abandon those principles. So, okay, fine. In any case, so that, that sh- says that legislatively, it'll be difficult to get anything done, which doesn't mean they shouldn't try. I think it's very important for a party that's not, that doesn't have the president, presidency to pass the bills that they would pass if they had the presidency. Yes, there's the key. Yeah, right. Yeah, as an example, to say, here's what we stand for, and you know, we're gonna pass these laws. And if you want more of these kind of laws, then change the president. Mm-hmm. The way that Republicans could make a difference, well, number one, they'll they'll put a break on any kind of activist left-wing judges who are gonna be nominated. I know that'll happen. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, they criticized Trump for having kind of an express train of judges going through federal judges that he was appointing. Biden's appointing them even faster. Right. You know, little known fact, but they were you- criticizing Trump, but now they're doing it. OK, fine. Yeah. What, what they can do, Republicans, if they take over even one house of uh, the government is to start investigating things yes using the subpoena power holding hearings let's get to the bottom of things like what happened during the COVID crisis amen what decisions were being made who was making them on what basis things like that let's find out more about hunter biden you know, there's a topic we weren't allowed to talk about. And if you if you tried to publish something on it, it would get censored. And if you put it on social media, you would get banned. Ooh. We still don't know about his dealings or what he did or what he was doing, riding around with his dad when he was vice president, getting meetings with, you know, important figures in China and Central Asia and other places. Let's find out more about that. Or, you know, you name the topic. But the fact is we've had four years of kind of a black hole in Washington on a whole lot of topics that, mm-hmm. that Democrats and the media and, you know, the tech lords don't want you to know about. Well, that will change. You're having a lot of friends in Texas. I know Ron does too, and probably all of us do, but uh, especially in the energy field also, do you think they have some kind of a way, even if it was to just continue to put the facts out in, in such a clear way that we could see, particularly with the problems of the oil in Europe and Eastern Europe and what they're facing right now with data. Could there be any kind of a push or an understanding towards getting the pipeline or getting the restrictions pulled off of the oil industry so they could go in the Gulf? There's enough oil for 200 years here. And we haven't even, there's a new kind also, as you probably know, that's, it's not even fossil fuel. It's just there and it works the same. And under the state of Colorado and other places, there's enough for 400 years or more. I wonder if there's any way that that, that can be brought forth if they control both houses. 
Well, I would hope so. You know, this country has energy, as you say, you know, energy resources for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. For a time, a couple of years ago, we were the world's largest energy producer. We were an oil exporting nation. You know, talk about OPEC. Well, here's the United States. Yeah. And energy <clears throat> is a huge strategic benefit that we have. And we treat it like it's some kind of problem we have to get rid of Jeez. because of, you know, the environmental groups. I don't understand that whatsoever. It's our biggest weapon in the world in terms of shaping economies, shaping strategies, shaping our influence around the world. I mean, take uh, the situation in Europe where they're going to have a cold winter. Mm -hmm. Well, back in the middle of the Trump administration, President Trump proposed that The United States worked with Europe to try to figure out a way to get liquid natural gas from us, where we have a lot of it, to them, where they need it, instead of them buying it from Russia. And instead of the Nord Stream pipeline that, you know, President Biden said was a good idea, you know, to ship the from Russia to Europe, to make Europe dependent on Russia. Well, that was a brilliant idea. And the Biden administration came in and said, no, we're not going to do that. Well, okay, look at the situation today. This is exactly what President Trump was talking about. Exactly. And it, it's, it would give us the market for that. It would cut Russia out of the equation. It draws us closer to our European friends and allies. It's like a win all around. So why did the Biden administration drop that policy? I just don't get it. Green? Well, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess the part of my question would be those last two issues, right? If it's a win, uh, is it possible that they don't want to win? And mm-hmm. number two, uh, going back to, um, so here's here's let me let me give you a little just a little background first, right? So I'm a I'm I'm a former young uh, Marxist radical, uh, and I remember the uh, you know the seventies, late seventies in particular. We had this. There was this brilliant sort of plan uh, to sort of transform the, the the nation, you know, so we could finally get rid of all the white, you know, one percenters and the control freaks, and we could actually take over and make the country more viable and and supportive of the, of the people. And part of that was okay. The riots failed in sixteen sixty nine. We all realized that there was no way we we're going to beat this country and beat the establishment through military might. They, it was just too much. Uh, and then we also had all of our parents and older adults in the churches who you couldn't get them to even come close to our radical ideas. So you, you, you come up with other ideas, uh, things like you find a way to, to sort of crash the whole system or find a way to make it just so overwhelming, then you know, we have no other choice but to rescue everybody. And then we spread the wealth around everybody. So I, some, and somewhere in my mind, I, I, I keep with this this conspiracy that that uh, the radicals have never left. Mm-hmm. They they've, they've just put on suits and went in government offices. And I and Biden administration, just like the Obama administration, makes me believe that those radicals and those radical ideas are still alive and well. It it, it actually causes me great angst. So am I crazy, or is it, or it, it's is there actually an attitude that would like to see the United States? No longer, you know, the, the, the world power, the world economic power, uh, and this leader of the free world thing. You, you think that's possible, or am I 
overreaching here? Oh, I, I don't think that's overreaching at all. I think that's exactly what's happening. It's it's clear that, as you say, you know, the radicals put on suits and you know, they went into government, they went into academe, they went into mass media. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've forced their way into the corporate world. Uh, you know, these radical ideas are everywhere. Yeah. It, it's amazing just in the past few years how radical things have shifted. I mean, whether it's gender ideology or the idea that mathematics is racist or, (laughs) you know, you name it, some of the kind of very strange ideas that are circulating quite widely now that a few years ago, people would say that's nuts. Yeah. Mm. So um, um, I guess another question. (laughs) Sorry, I don't mean to hog all the time here, <laughs> but I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a recovering political wonk. Sorry. <laughs> uh, you got the right questions. There's all <laughs> so here, here's the other, the other issue with me is um, I, I, maybe it's just me also. Right there, I think there's a there's a critical tipping point. I mean, politically in the country, where we get to a point where we've made they've made decisions or people have gotten in places where they, in essence, enact laws or policies that will eventually bring us down, and at least to the point where we can no longer uh, abate their destruction. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I, uh, again, maybe it's not like a conspiracy theorist, but I've got a friend who was a refugee from uh, Cuba. Uh, you might know the guy, some name like Cruz. <laughs> Rafael Cruz is uh, Ted Cruz's father. Mm-hmm. And I uh, I'm telling you, listening to him, talking to him about what's ha- what happened in Cuba and what's happening here, it makes it makes hair on my back of my neck rise up. Mm-hmm. If I had hair, but anyway. <laughs> but another another uh, another friend is well, a friend, an acquaintance is a guy who was a, I guess, a part of the firefighter and uh, firefighters guy was back in the 80s and 90s, but also became a politician. But he's now here in the United States. He's from Venezuela. So back in the 90s, when we were screaming about Chavez being elected. You know, illegally, uh, by the way, uh, no one paid attention. Well, this guy and his family had left Venezuela and they're here. Now, I don't know many people around that I talk to who's more concerned and more more afraid of what's happening, where we are right now, than mm-hmm. those two guys. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that speaks volumes because in even his mind, Venezuela got to a point where there was no recovery. Yeah, that's right. There was no, there was no way to, to politically sort of stop and change and, and turn the train around. I, I just think that we're that some there's some things that happened in this last election process that tells me that we could be in that situation. I, what do you think? Well I hope not, but I think it's something we have to keep in mind because Venezuela is a good case study, a completely prosperous, powerful democratic country in South America that turned into a socialist dictatorship, collapsed their economy. They can't even drill their oil now because they nationalized everything and then they screwed it up. And, you know, look at, and and let me just add, look at what's going on next door now in uh, Colombia. Yes. Yes. You know, a country that was a great ally of ours. We've worked with them a long time against their, uh, uh, guerrilla problem against their drug problem. 
you know, the cartels and uh, narco terrorism issues that they had and, you know, a great partner of ours. Well, now their new government is former terrorists. And, you know, guess what? They did not give up. They might've given up acts of violence, but they haven't given up their ideology and they are going to, it looks like they're going to make it the next Venezuela. Oh, all right. Call Ollie North. <laughs> I don't recall. <laughs> I tell you, so what, you know, uh, what I love about you is your vast knowledge of just America, but also international, internationally. So my broad question to you is, what do you think the Chinese and the Russians are thinking about? Yeah. Oh, well, that's a good topic. I'm, uh, I'm giving a talk at University of Dallas tomorrow talking about China, Russia, and Iran. So that's, I've been, I've been studying up on it. Um, I think, well, they're kind of two different issues. Um, Russia has kind of backed itself into a corner with its war. Um, They're not winning their war in Ukraine. They're showing how weak they really are. They have the international community up in arms against them. Their economy has being smashed by sanctions. Their stocks are down. They have inflation. Um, They can't resell their energy to China because they don't have the pipeline capacity to do it. I mean, they want to do it because Europeans aren't buying it now, but they don't have the way to get it there. And then the Chinese, you know, their great friends and allies are are giving are charging like a 30% markdown. (laughs) <laughs> on Russian oil. It's like got them on the ropes, you know, hey, our friend is in trouble. Okay, but we're we're still we're gonna, you know, force your price. You. <laughs> you know, very friendly. So um, you know, Putin, he kind of he kind of blew it with this uh, war against Ukraine. I think that he thought it would be a short war. He'd be, you know, in and out, overthrow the government and leave and annex a few pieces of Ukraine on the way out. But mm-hmm isn't working out like that. And the international community is showing no sign of wanting to let up, even with Putin kind of with this nuclear saber rattling that he's doing. Right. So what do you Russia think of Afghanistan? Yeah. What do you think of Afghanistan? All the troops that we trained, what were they like a hundred thousand or 60,000 that we trained to protect them. Now they're being called and they're going to fight the Ukrainians as of, I think yesterday, uh, and they were the ones that we trained all the skilled trainings. One of the things I read, they put like $80 billion into training them. And now they're going to fight against the Ukrainians with the Russians. Well, you know, that's too bad. Uh, I don't know. There's not much we can do about that. But what that tells me is that the Russians can't get enough of their own troops right. to fight their war. Or maybe Putin's thinking, hey, I don't want Russians to die in Ukraine. I'm going to go send other people to die in Ukraine. Uh, if I were from one of those other countries, I would be wondering, you know, what's in it for me? Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Political move. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and then speaking of dying, they've lost about 70,000 troops in this eight-month or so war that they've been fighting. In 10 years in Afghanistan, they lost 14,000. Wow. 14,000 wow. in 10 wow. years versus wow. 70,000 in eight months. Wow. And you wonder why the airports, roads, and the stations are 
right, overwhelmed with people running out of Russia. And he started, and, uh, starts yeah, to start yeah. drafting uh, people for the war. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'd like to go back to the China issue. Wait, first of all, you're going to be in Dallas tomorrow? I'm in Dallas right now, my friend. I am in a oh. hotel in downtown Dallas. Right. And you're going to be at Baptist, Baptist, Dallas Baptist University or Dallas? University where, where? of Dallas. University of Dallas. Uh, I, I got to check that out. <laughs> Ron's I, Ron, if you can it. make it, you know, uh, <laughs> send me a note. You know, we'll, we'll get you there. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll make, a, make it a point. I got to talk to the, the program director here and. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not the organizer of this event, but I'm sure right. they have an extra seat. <laughs> All right, that'll be good. That'll be good. Uh, so anyway, I, so I want I wanted to uh, again go back to China. Um, so we are, I guess, our our, our actions uh, in action in Afghanistan seem to have drawn the Chinese in immediately as as, as we withdrew. I mean, if you can believe the foreign press, with the, between the Russians and Chinese there. Uh, we have a situation in Taiwan where they're doing all sorts of provocative things that they've never would have done before, uh, which seems like a bunch of indicators that they're willing, they're trying to testing and willing to do some things there. Um, the other thing has gone quiet, but I, I guess from some sources tells me that um, they're reporting that there are thousands and thousands of new Chinese troops in Hong Kong uh, uh, as well. So I guess uh, so. One of the things is, is China uh, seeing a weakened U.S. Uh, resolve to engage, and now may, might be a good situation for them to kind of take advantage of it. I mean, on top of the fact you have thousands and thousands of spies in our country already. What, what's your take on that? Well, it's and, a and, how, and how dangerous is China? First, also, how dangerous do you think China is? Oh, very dangerous. Right. Very dangerous. They want to replace us as the most important country in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, they'd, they'd love it if we went away. Um, and everything they do projects this kind of inevitability. You know, China mm-hmm. is growing, China's rising, China's going to take over. But all of their messaging is centered mm-hmm. on that. Oh, I'm sorry. And, I'm sorry. Let me interrupt you yeah. one second. Sure. So the, the internationally broadcast escorting the former out of the chamber behind G, would that be an indicator also of that projection? Oh well, yeah. I mean, that's that's uh, Z showing that he's in charge. Mm-hmm. I, you know, he got his he, his his historic third term. He kind of likens himself to Mao in certain ways, like you know, he's the guy, and right. he's tightening his grip on the party apparatus. He kicked out a bunch of old timers and put in his own lackeys. At the Politburo, and yeah, I mean, he's he's showing that he is the power now. No, um, but to me, that kind of speaks of certain weaknesses too. Because, okay, on the challenge side, they're being very aggressive. Um, they're building up their military, right. their navy, their nuclear weapons. Uh, cyber capabilities. They're building up their space capability, which to them is a, an offensive capability, right, you know, right. anti-satellite and whatever. Mm. Um, so they're doing all these aggressive things. But on, on the other hand, their economy is starting to sputter. Ah, it's really ah. starting to stall out. They're kind mm-hmm. of reaching the limit of what they can do with their growth model. 
And even Z admitted this because he said they're going to start turning away from trade and turning towards their internal markets, which, you know, good luck to him. But it just shows like they've kind of reached the limits of trade. Other countries in the region like Vietnam, Indonesia, of course, South Korea, Japan always did. But they're like taking market share away from China now, particularly Mm. the developing countries that are coming up who have cheaper labor costs and can do what China used to do. Mm. So that's a problem. They've got a population problem from their one child policy that they had for many decades. Well, you know, they've rescinded that now. Now it's like, Hey, start having kids, but but they don't have, they have a, they have a a woman gap because in the one child period, everybody wanted a son. And if you found out that you were pregnant with a little girl, they, you know, aborted them, they would kill them. So now suddenly they don't have enough women. Hmm. And so they have a demographic issue. Yes. And, Another problem they have is attitudes have changed towards China in the world. It used to be in the 90s and forward that the belief was, well, if we engage China, we trade with them, bring them on the World Trade Organization, have commerce, that they'll liberalize and eventually they'll become like us. Well, that didn't work. That just flat failed. I don't don't mean to brag, but I argued that point back in the 90s with a... Uh, Tim Ryan, but that's go ahead. smart man. You were well as a former Marxist, you knew, right? Sorry, they weren't giving up. The party no. wouldn't give up. No, no. So, but the world is aware of this now. I mean, the world knows. Okay, China's not going to liberalize. They have a dictator now. They have their social credit system. Uh, you know, they're tightening their controls. They're oppressing their minorities worse than ever. Tibetans, Christians, uh, Falun Gong, and Uyghurs. Uyghurs? You know, yeah, the Uyghurs especially. We're finding out new and gruesome aspects of their genocide, Hmm. you know, their camp system in Xinjiang. And let me just uh, recommend everybody check out the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation, VOC Foundation. they are doing a lot of work on this issue, and there's they have some people who have gotten documents out of China that detail how the camp system works, how the police controls work, you know, with the Uyghurs, and uh, also on the forced organ donation that's mm-hmm. going on, where they're, you know, cutting oh. organs out of uh, prisoners, killing them uh, to, you know, trade for money. So and so Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation, I highly recommend that organization. They just opened a museum in uh, Washington to the different countries that had been under communist or still are under communist domination. It's a great outfit. Would you repeat that again? Repeat the name of that? Oh, Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation. Thank you. VOC. You can, yeah, just Google it. You'll find them. It, they're they're doing amazing work documenting what's going on inside China and other countries that are suffering from the disease of communism. Mm. But anyway, so China, you know, they have economic problems. They've got uh, human rights problems. They have demographic problems. They're not 
it's like, you know, on a march that's going to take over the world. They're facing some serious contradictions. And I really think China is kind of peaking right now. I don't think that China is the future threat. They're a current well, threat for sure. Right. Well, it, well, well I, I guess the other question I was going to say that uh, with the, the lockdowns, that's also been a huge uh, economic impact, uh, wouldn't it? Would it not? Absolutely. And, and, and I guess political my, impact. And the other, so the other thought is, uh, in my years of fighting, <laughs> Ron, Ron put that one out. I want to give Stephanie one other question. Go ahead. Oh, oh, oh sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead, right. Stephanie. I was just thinking about mothers. You know, we were talking about that, Ron, with the uh, mothers from a mother's perspective, Stephanie, and um, you know, to get from China to the elections coming up. Are you he- hearing anything you want to address about schools and education of women in Georgia? Yeah. Sorry. Not specific to education. That's a whole mess in and of itself. But I, what, what, what comes to mind for me is just um, all the violence and how we've had massive number changes in crime. And really, you know, we had this shift in like 14, 16 away from police. And I think we're now kind of seeing what that's doing. How much of a role do you think that's going to play in the election next week, all the around the country. Oh, I think it's a huge, a huge part of it. Yeah. Uh, You know, crime has increased dramatically and a, I think the defund the police rhetoric, if not reality is coming back to bite a lot of Democrats. Mm -hmm. Uh, I saw Stacey Abrams (laughs) on TV the other day. She said, I never said defund the police. And then someone ran a clip of her saying, defund the police. I mean, you know, like they're, they're running away from that now. Suddenly Democrats are all about law and order. Well, no, you can't have it both ways because, you know, you want it. There was a war on police for a couple of years. And, you know, uh, we've had all things like bail reform and, uh, you know, uh, changing the definition of a misdemeanor so that you can shoplift a certain (laughs) amount of goods. And then after that, it's a crime. And so now there are areas in like San Francisco where shops are pulling out because they're getting looted by these organized gangs Mm. that come in and no one can do anything to them. So, you know, New York City, same deal. You've got, it's just, it's really gone downhill. I don't know if any of you have been to New York lately. I, mean, I remember it during the Giuliani days when it was fantastic. Yeah. And then you know, today it's just not the place you want to be. Washington, D.C., too, to a lesser extent, is getting a little bit out of control. So, yeah, crime is a huge issue. And people just don't trust Democrats to be tough on crime. They just don't. Mm. Well, and the cashless, cashless bailout system is not mm. helping that a lot of places have instituted. And I think... Like, I know you were asking from a mother's perspective. I was, my brother is 10 years younger than me. He lives in Washington. So we were having a conversation. He's visiting about, you know, how you're voting and what you believe. And um, I showed him the hierarchy of needs, the triangle. A lot of people have probably seen it, but you start with the most basic things, which are, you know, shelter, food, safety, and then you start going up. And so I think Um, people are all across the board with what issues matter to them. But as a mama, I care about my house. If my (laughs) house is not safe, I don't care. Men tend to be more 
of the world and you see outside. But so I think a lot of the women were like, that's nice. What's happening in my neighborhood. Right. <laughs> and so we want to see that and make sure our kids are safe running around and all of that. So I know that's a big thing I've been talking with my friends about. Big emphasis. Yeah. Big emphasis. Well, I'm looking here at, uh, we've got about, uh, about four minutes before I, we're going to ask Stephanie to share something with us in okay. a minute. Uh, it's Tank, or, yeah. <laughs> Tank or Paul, uh, anything you wanted to ask Jim? We're, we're blessed guys. I want to tell you, we get Jim back next week too. I'm real excited about this. There are people, oh. we need a lot of questions yeah. coming in on this show. It'll come are, we back doing the, are we doing it next week or, the, or right after the election? Whichever one you want. Well, I was thinking we could like this is the pre-game, and then we do the post-game. Let's do it. Let's do it that way, okay? Yeah. Well, maybe we can maybe we have a a, a live uh, port by blow by bone on uh, election night too. <laughs> yeah, there we go. That'd be fun. <laughs> you good for twelve hours? Yeah, with the clock around the clock. Like Remember the old days when they'd be on TV and then everybody Huntley Brinkley report? And they'd all be the all night long on the board, you know, but. Uh, yeah, we'll see if we get any like middle of the night ballot dumps or any of that. Kind of yeah. Stuff. Yeah. yeah, like chasing over chasing the ballot car. Yeah, they're chasing. So, you know, I use social media and it'll tell you the memories that pop up. And we had one, however many years ago, the night that Trump won was a few nights, uh, I don't know, whatever ago, it came up as a memory. We were at a Sacramento Kings and NBA game and the gal behind me had worked for calling for Trump and we couldn't believe it. I left the game and went inside the lounge to watch the TV because I was in shock that he was winning. You know, and I sat there like, what? So some of us can recall the places we've been during some interesting elections. Maybe we can get a clock, Stephanie, one of those things you can do and have Jim address it that night. Play by play. Oh, <laughs> uh, we uh, I've got we've got just a few minutes, but I, I did want to say, Stephanie, would you like to share a word about we could how you can help support the program? Sure, then- absolutely. So you can listen to us on pretty much any platform you could be searching. You can find us raising expectations. Uh, you can also go to bbsradio.com forward slash raising expectations. You can find out about all of us there, live shows, past shows. If you want it as a podcast recording, it's all there. There's also a donation button. There's a little PayPal image and you um, are welcome to, there you go. You're welcome to donate. We love it. It takes money to run this program. So we appreciate anything that you can offer. You can also reach out to Joe directly. If you'd like to talk with him about sponsorship or donation or anything, his number is 972-922-8556. And Mostly, we just really appreciate you sharing this and giving feedback and encouraging us uh, to continue doing this. So thank you for being along on this ride with us. Amen. Amen. We do. Amen. Thank you, Stephanie. Thanks, Craig. All right. Paul, do you have a thought? We're looking at uh, (laughs) guys. anything. Jim, I'm just so glad you talk positively. You know, it's uh, living in California. Yeah. you know, you wake up in the morning, you watch the news and say, what stupid thing's going to be done today? You know, that's that's kind of what it feels like. Um, I was listening to two truckers just just before our program started, and they were talking about the cost of uh, of diesel fuel and what that's going to how that's going to impact us. And the, one made an interesting comment. He said, you want to see riots in the street? 
cut those sucker, uh, soccer moms loose who can't feed their babies food, you know, because it isn't on the shelves anymore and watch what happens. So, uh, you know, we're, we, we're just in a world of hurt and, uh, you know, it's good to hear a positive voice. I appreciate you. Appreciate what you're saying, you know, and, and, uh, keep it up, you know, cause positive voices are hard to find sometimes, you know, the balcony voices and seller voices and, a lot easier to listen to the cellar than it is the balcony. And uh, so just keep going, keep going. Thanks, Paul. Well, I've, I've always said, you know, the, the best times are still ahead of us. We, we had, won't come by uh, accident, though. We have to make it happen. Right. And uh, I think keeping a positive attitude helps us get there. Amen. I was wondering when you mentioned again the fuel shortage there in Eastern Europe and everything, watching NATO and what's happening, particularly Germany. I was thinking that I heard today that that the oil shortage we have, diesel or heating oil, depending on how you process it, twenty five percent left is uh, that we have left up there for the Eastern United States. It's the worst since nineteen fifty two. (laughs) So that's Eisenhower. So I hope you stay warm, Jim. <laughs> oh yeah, um, we have a we have a gas boiler, so hopefully we will. Oh, so we don't need yeah, but um, it but it's true though. Like people aren't aware of the fact that we're running out of diesel fuel. Yeah, right. So mm-hmm. what happens then? Yeah, like, all said, you know, folks yeah, won't, those, won't be those of us in the, and those of us in the south, uh, people here don't realize how many places in the North and Midwest actually still use oil to heat Absolutely. their home. They, uh, they, somehow they can't wrap their head around it. Uh, having those, those uh, oil burning boilers there, especially in low income areas and areas yeah. in, you know, the part of the city, people are going to be hurting most by that. Um, and yeah. then talk to my, uh, I have a number of friends that are truck drivers and listen to the price of diesel and how much it costs to fill their well, they don't really fill them anymore, just enough to get them through the eight hours. Uh, and they're all saying, what you think prices are bad now, watch them in the next coming few months. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One of the truckers said that he spends $1,100 to fill up his truck three times a week. Yes. That's crazy. $1,100 three times a week. Yeah. Unbelievable. Absolutely. Well, we're going to have to sign off for tonight, Jim. <laughs> we're looking yeah. at our time right now, but... We're anxious to get back and uh, and we'll, we'll be checking with you and, and we'll be praying for you tomorrow when you speak. And thanks for who you are and what you do. Thanks for your Amen. heart. Like Paul and everybody said, your enthusiasm, you're a, a great lift for us, especially in California. <laughs> We're glad. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for your wisdom. Yes, thank you. Yeah, for your wisdom. Uh, well, thank, thank you all for having me on. And yeah, let's let's get together again after the election and we'll see You know how right we were about it. Yeah, I'll check back with you. We'll be all set for that. Got the hundred bucks too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in tonight to your show, Raising Expectations, and we hope it's enlightened you. Most of all, we hope it's encouraged you, because like we always say, we want you to be able to be encouraged and lifted up because God's in control and He's showing us He we can have the strength to do the work, like we said. Be involved. Do your part. He's going to show you where to go. And most of all, stand tall for being, being proud to be an American. It's great to belong to the greatest 
nation in the history of the world when it comes to the democracy and what it means because of republic attitude it, it pertains to. All right. So, TJ, thanks so much. God bless you all. Jim, God bless you and your family. And tomorrow we'll be praying for you. We'll be seeing you later on. Okay. See you next week. Same time, same station. So long. Thank you. Bless you. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Friends. Jim. Thanks for joining us on this week's program of Raising Expectations. We profoundly hope you found it engaging and at times humorous, but most of all, uplifting, so that we may, with you, one topic at a time each week, become more encouraged to move forward to an exciting future in, as we always say, this thing called life in America today. So let not your hearts be troubled, your family, finances, faith, freedom, It can be a great future as we talk, listen, respect, and pull together. Please let me hear from you. You can reach me at 972-922-8556. That's 972-922-8556 or Joe Schofield on Facebook or LinkedIn. It'd be a pleasure to know you and we hope you'll listen in again next week on the BBS Radio Network.